Welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Loud Engine Sounds. I'm your friend David Pierce, and I am currently sitting in my basement playing Mario Tennis on my Nintendo Switch on my television, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but is actually a very big deal to me. You might have heard me complaining on the show a couple of weeks ago about all of Nintendo's stupid proprietary docks and cables for the Switch, and a bunch of you reached out to recommend that I buy one product, the Genki, Janky, I don't know, it's G-E-N-K-I, and the product is called the Convert Dock. I bought one, it works perfectly, and I'm very grateful to everyone who recommended it. Anyway, we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Samsung. We're going to answer a bunch of your questions about Samsung's new phones, the future of flip phones, and what it's like to be a green bubble. We're also going to continue our testing of wireless earbuds to see if we have a new best choice for voice calls and Zoom meetings. And Neil Patel is going to come on and tell us about all of his adventures with the Ford F-150 Lightning. All that's coming in just a sec. I just have to win this tournament real quick. Fun fact about me, I'm not good at most video games, but I'm really good at Mario Tennis. If you ever want to play, get at me. This is The Vergecast. See you in a second. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology... Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Last week, as you probably already know, if you've listened to this show, Samsung held yet another unpacked event and launched a bunch of new stuff. We wanted you to be able to imagine something different, an entirely new way to think about your smartphone. There's the Galaxy Z Fold 4, which folds together like a hot dog bun. And then there's the Z Flip 4, which flips closed like a hamburger bun, plus some headphones and watches and all sorts of other stuff. It's a lot to sort through. So we asked you to send in whatever questions you had about the phones in particular to our Vergecast hotline, which the number, don't forget, is 866-VERGE-11. Call us, ask us all your questions. In this case, we got some great ones. Thanks again to everyone who called in. It's super fun hearing from you. Please keep calling. To answer all of your questions about Samsung, which were weird and all over the place, I brought in a panel of Verge experts. Deputy Editor Dan Seifert. Hello. Reviewer Allison Johnson. Hello. And Managing Editor Alex Kranz. Hello. I think we're going to get through a bunch of questions because a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about Samsung. Let's start. I think our first question is from Leo. Hi, David and Verge crew. This is Leo calling from beautiful West Michigan. I'm one of those mini iPhone mini or other compact phone fans. There are dozens of us out there who like small phones. Currently rocking a way too big Pixel 6. And I'm wondering, is the Z Flip 4 finally what I'm looking for in a small Android phone? I really miss my Sony Xperia Z3 Compact and I don't know if I want to switch to the iPhone. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about size and if not Z 
four flip. What are my options out there for small phones? And do you hear any rumblings of anything coming down the bike? Thanks. Okay, first of all, I really miss my Sony Xperia Z3 Compact is a sentence you will only hear on the Vergecast. Yes. So congratulations Correct. to all of us. But also, I really like this idea because it had never really clicked for me that like maybe this new run of flip phones is like the small smartphones we were promised. Mm. I think this is very interesting theory. Dan, you're making a face. Why are you making a face? Uh, I hate to pour cold water on that, but it's what I do as... Someone who's used a folding <laughs> flip phone, I'm here to tell you that they are small when they're closed and fit in your pocket very nice. So if that's what you want from a small phone is like to fit in more places easier, whether it's your pocket or a purse or a bag or whatever, yes, they do that. But when I think of a small phone, I think of I can use this easily in one hand and that is where they do not work well because it takes two hands to open up the flip every single time, unless you want to like jam your thumb under there and gouge the screen as you do it. Don't recommend doing that with your thousand dollar phone. And then when you open it, it's a 6.8 inch screen. It's a big phone. So it's not like it's like easily reachable with one hand, like to scroll down from the top or reach across with your thumb or anything like that. It becomes a big phone. So in my mind, no, these do not solve the small phone desire because they are not easily used by one hand. But I think Allison probably has a suggestion for you. I sure do. Let's hear it. <laughs> now, this is the little kind of, I guess, dark horse of <laughs> 2022, the Asus Zenfone 9. I have used it. I haven't fully reviewed it yet because a couple of things have come up, but it's a little one. It's a compact, it's like a truly compact Android flagship. It's got top of the line processor, really interesting camera system where the stabilization like moves the whole camera around. There's just a lot of cool stuff about it. It's like IP68. There's a headphone jack. I hold it in my hand and I'm just like, this just feels right. We established on this show very recently, Allison, that 6.1 <laughs> inches is the correct size for a smaller smartphone. Does the Zen phone pass the test? So here's the asterisk on that. 6.1 inches is my, like, I concede that not everybody wants a small phone. Like, I want a small phone. Everybody else seems to want a giant phone. So I think, like, 6.1 inches is where we can all kind of, like, agree. And that's okay. I review a lot of Android phones. So as my team has pointed out, my perception on what a small phone is has been skewed. <laughs> I took the Pixel 6a out of the box. I was like, look, a tiny phone. And <laughs> everybody quickly corrected me that it was not tiny. <laughs> so, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm an unreliable narrator here. I like a small phone. I'm desensitized to giant phones. So it seems to me like the, the true answer for Leo here is like if, if what you want in a small phone is that it is like smaller and will fit in your pockets more easily congratulations, the flip phone is great. If what you want is like an actually small phone that you can hold in your hand, either buy the Zen phone or just get over it and come live in the large phone world in which we unfortunately all exist. Yeah. Which I feel like is the right answer. Like if you want a small phone, just stop wanting a small phone. Feels like the correct way to live your life going forward. I don't know if that's how I would put it. <laughs> yeah. Look at the Zen phone nine. It's lovely. I like it. Okay. So Next up, we have another call about screen size, actually, from, I believe, a caller from Aurora, Illinois. Hey, I have a question about folding phones and video aspect ratios. 
If you're watching YouTube at a standard like 16 by 9, how much bigger is that video actually getting when you go from the outside screen on like a Samsung folding phone to the inside screen? It seems like a lot of that would just be extra letterboxing and then just like marginally bigger video itself. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. I believe I am the person on this podcast currently who has used folding phones the least. So you all tell me. I think this is a perfectly fair question, though. Like what if you're just looking at a 16.9 video on this, you know, giant ass internal display of the fold, what are you really getting? You do get a bigger video picture. And yes, you do get black bars above and, be, and below it, especially if you turn the phone into landscape mode and you're full screen that YouTube video. The open fold phone is roughly a four by three aspect ratio. You know, there's it's it's not exact, but it's close enough. So so you will get black bars above and below it. However, within those black bars, you still get a large video. Like I can put a Pixel 6 Pro above the video and it's like the same size. So you when you full screen it, you are getting like a big, big phone size video when you're playing it. What's interesting about it though, is if you don't full screen it, then you get like all this extra UI that you don't get on normal phones because it behaves like a tablet UI. So you get the right rail of suggested videos, you get your descriptions, your comments and things like that. So like, it, it depends on like where you want to use this extra space that you have, but you can make more use of it than if you just had a standard, a slab smartphone with a giant screen on it. Also, 16 by 9 is like a very popular aspect ratio. It's hugely popular on YouTube, etc. But it's not the only one. All of TV up until what, like the mid 2000s was in 4 by 3. Some movies were in 4 by 3. Like you've got even narrower aspect ratios like 1.85 and 2.39 and, and all of these super cinematic ones. So like there's a lot of different types of screens. And I think we saw like Microsoft even saying 4 by 3 is actually a really good display size because it's going to give you all of those different ones feeling kind of nice. Yeah, I think the best way to think about it is like if you've ever watched video on an iPad, it's going to be a very similar experience to that. You're going to have black bars above and below it. Those will change in size depending on what aspect ratio it is. But this is very much like having an iPad mini that folds in half. And so all of the you know compromises that you get with that, but all the benefits that you get too. Okay. Allison, what have you found in, in testing the Z Fold 4 so far? Are you like a full screener or do you do the like big phone size video plus all the interface around it? It's kind of dependent on like how I want to be sitting. Like sometimes you want to lay down and, and not hold your phone. <laughs> so I think that's the like I've used this phone more for is like it is a truly small screen experience having it on like the cover screen but you can prop that up and play video you can have it open in the l shape and watch a teeny tiny video that way which kind of stinks but you don't have to use your hands somewhere someone on samsung's marketing team is so happy <laughs> the amount of time they have spent being like look you can put this thing on a table <laughs> fold it into the l shape and watch videos and i guess it's good like who knew it was worth it i like propped it up like a book I guess where it's like open and I had a I had TikTok playing on one side which that even kind of works so many different things you can do with it so you open it up you go split screen TikTok on one side reels on the other side and just yep. infinite doom scrolling forever fight the two of you fight <laughs> it out that was helpful. Thank you all. Uh, let's move on to the next one. A lot of people have questions about screen size, which I guess is fair. It's, this is what folding phones are all about. Our next question comes from Kevin. 
Hey, VergeCast, what is a computer? My name is Kevin. And my question is, with the Z Fold 3, there are already issues with things like the Google feed and YouTube, the YouTube app, basically having side columns, unless you were turned into what, I guess, essentially a landscape mode. So now that they've made the screen shorter on the Z Fold 4, doesn't that mean that that landscape real estate has been made smaller? Like, are those apps going to populate properly? They already had issues. Yeah, let me know. Thanks. Allison, I really want to know what you've seen so far, because I think this is a thing Samsung has been tinkering with over the last few years with like how apps should render at different screen sizes and when you open the phone versus when you turn the phone versus when it's closed. Like, has Samsung figured out how apps are supposed to look on all these screens yet? I mean, I think they've gotten pretty close to me. Like the difference is, you know, with the phone closed using the cover screen, does it feel like a normal phone? Does it feel just super thin and weird and claustrophobic it's all right like it's good enough i don't think the screen size difference is big enough to make any kind of big difference in in how much video you know and how things render or like how much content you can get on the screen it's just a matter of like is it a little more comfortable to use And for me, it's been the first day of using it. I was like, I feel like I'm aiming at these really tiny, you know, keys on the keyboard. But I got used to it after about a day. And I think it's it's like 90 percent there to where it's a a big enough screen that you feel comfortable being like, yes, this is my phone. Does it feel less like a TV remote now? Because that was always my issue with the (laughs) early folds was that when you when they were closed, it, it felt like you were holding this like impossibly long TV remote. It's still a little remote ish. Okay. Almost there, but you you still get that vibe. And Dan, Android is supposed to solve this at some point, right? Like, isn't Android 12L going to be the magic thing that fixes everything for us? The Fold 4 does run 12L, or it's based on Android 12L with Samsung's optimizations on top of it. So it does have that. What 12L really does, though, is really kind of hard to say. Uh, We've only seen 12L on a big tablet and then this Fold 4. So we haven't seen it on a lot of places yet. Mostly what you see it on in the Fold 4 is the little taskbar at the bottom, where on the Fold 3 or the earlier models, you had like a taskbar you could like swipe in from the side of the phone to launch apps from. Now it's going to be at the bottom, similar to how Mac OS and Windows work and things like that. And I think that like there are a couple of things that Samsung does to help you decide how you want the screen to render apps. Like you can go into settings and adjust the screen zoom. So you can say, give me less zoom so I fit more stuff on the screen or give me bigger zoom so I got bigger icons and it's easier to read and stuff like that. And that will impact how certain apps render because that will adjust whether an app says, oh, I'm displayed on a tablet and I'm going to show my tablet interface or, oh, I'm displayed on a phone and I'm just going to be a big phone interface. So that can like tweak things a little bit. I think that the difference between the Fold 3 and the Fold 4 is really not that significant, even though like on a spec sheet, the aspect ratio is slightly different and the screen size measures slightly different. The difference in practice is not that huge. So like an app is likely going to display exactly the same on the Fold 4 as it did on the Fold 3. And we kind of like did a little bit of comparisons. We know that YouTube definitely does like its exact same way on the Fold 3 and the Fold 4. So there's like, you know, some tweaks you can make to it and things like that. And it's really going to very depend on what apps that you are really into. Famously, the one app that really does not like foldable phones is Shocker Instagram. And the way that it opens on the inside screens is it opens in a essentially a letterbox format. So Samsung has like built software to to handle Instagram. 
So you can see Instagram without it like zooming in and cropping out everything really horribly. But like that was Samsung fixing it because Android does not really fix it. So before we move on, the thing I have to know is how zoomed in is your phone? Dan, for anyone who is not familiar with Dan Seifert, uses bigger font on his computer than almost anyone else I know. So I just feel like I just need to know, like, are we are we a right in the middle guy? Are we a zoom all the way in guy? Like, where are we at? I was tinkering with it today, actually, because, <laughs> of course, uh, I also tinker. I've got the zoom set all the way to the plus, and then I make the font smaller. I tried it the other way so that I could have like more space, but just make the font bigger. And that made like the interface elements all weird. So like big UI, small text. Yeah, I think it's actually the default UI size because there's two, at least on the Fold 3, there are two settings. There's default and then more space. And so I've got it set on default and then I just take the font back one notch so that I can fit more stuff in the screen. All right. And then just hold it closer to my face, I guess. (laughs) Just ramp up the prescription on your glasses just real quick. Uh, uh, All right, let's move on. So next up, we have a question from Justin. Hey, David, it's Justin, J. Mitch, and your Twitter DMs. I wanted to know if the new Z Flip 4 has USB-C DisplayPort out or USB HDMI over USB-C so that I could do DeX or just mirror my Android phone to my AR headset so that I can watch movies in bed without bothering my wife. That is my dream setup, a small foldable device that I can put in my pocket and then plug into a huge display None of the other flips had it, and I was waiting to see if they would announce it, and they didn't say anything at the event, and I can't find any information on this anywhere, so I would appreciate an answer to this question. Thanks, man. To address Justin's question, we can confirm that the Flip 4 does not support Samsung DeX, and we are very certain that it does not support video out over USB-C, but we'll be testing that in the future, so stay tuned. But TLDR... I would not expect it to do what you're hoping it to do, unfortunately. Any idea why not? Samsung has made this big deal about DeX for so long. This is an odd line to pick to not put it on. So this is pure speculation here. But I think that when you are running like video out over USB-C on a phone, um, and if you're running a desktop environment like DeX or things like that, it's very taxing on the phone's processor and it's taxing on the thermal system. And the one thing with the flip phones is that they do not have as good thermal management as the larger devices or the other devices. And so they will throttle their processor faster than say a Fold will or an S22 Ultra will. And I know, I think PC Mag did some side-by-side benchmark comparisons with temperatures and everything like that. And they noticed that the Flip 4 was throttling faster than the Fold 4 did. So that would be my guess, is it's a performance management system thing, uh, limitation or whatever. Um, but it'd be, it, like, I think his idea is really cool. And like it would be like a really cool idea if it did work. Just to confirm really quickly, the Fold does support DeX, right? And all the other HDMI out stuff? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the fold is like the full computer in your pocket dealio, but unfortunately the flip it does not. Justin, when you figure this out, report back. We, we want to know. All right. We have one more question before we go here. It is slightly different, but we're going to answer it anyway. This is from Gordon. This is Gordon. Thanks guys. I have not received a text back from the last two women to give me their phone number. Obviously I'm an Android user. Is it time for me to just give up on the fight? for independent text messaging platforms and buy into an iPhone. I wish I could say I'm not this desperate, but I am definitely desperate enough to pay $3,000 to migrate my entire digital life. Thanks. I got this. Okay, Alex, go. Hey, Gordon. I hate to tell you this, but it is the green bubbles. (laughs) I, I, I confirmed this. Wow. 
Not with Gordon specifically. I had a friend and he was he was having trouble. He had at least two women say to him, it's your green bubbles. I don't want them in my life. It could be the green bubbles. It could be a wide variety of things going on. Are you looking at the green bubbles on your phone more than you are talking to the woman across from you? That could be part of the problem. But no, I think it's okay to migrate because iOS is superior in the United States and will help you a lot more than, than Android will. But I think also if you love your Android phone, and a lot of people do, at least like one person on the Vergecast loves their Android phone. If you love your Android phone, keep it. Because out there somewhere is a woman who loves her Android phone. And when you text her and you pop up that green bubble and you're like, ah, oh, here it goes. Here's another one. She's going to reject me because of this green bubble. She's going to go, oh, my God, there's another one like me. And that that's like a love connection right there for you. So, like, honestly, I think you should keep it. Don't don't change your devices to, to try to get with a girl. Just focus on being really awesome and cool, which it sounds like you are. And keep holding out for that green bubble girl because I swear she's out there somewhere. I just can't believe that we let you get through a whole thing after you said, as everybody knows, iOS is just better than Android in the US. That's just like a thing you said. And we're just we're just cool with that, apparently. I'm out here speaking the truth, David. I'm just speaking truth to power. And the power is Android. I don't know what's going on. Listen, I'm a blue bubble and my wife is a green bubble. And we mostly get along okay. Aww. Aww. That's inspiring. But here's what I wonder is, is the correct answer to just give them some other, like, should you give them your Instagram handle? Should you just be like, oh, no, I use Signal. And then they'll be like, oh, wow, such great personal data policies and then fall in love with you even harder. Like, like, is there a better answer than your <laughs> cell phone number out there that we can give? Like, I only use Signal because I, I care about your privacy and mine. Yeah, exactly. Our love is end-to-end encrypted. It's like, done. Lock it down. End-to-end encryption. Woo! All right, Gordon, let us know how it goes. We're all rooting for you. Dan, Alex, Allison, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. We are going to take a break and then we will be back to continue our testing of earbud microphones because I just need to know if I bought the right headphones. We'll be right back. Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. 
Welcome back. A couple of months ago on this show, I found myself with a question. Which wireless earbuds should I buy to use for phone calls, Zoom meetings, and all the voice dictation and chattering with Siri I do all day? We talk a lot about sound quality with headphones, but I really just wanted to know about microphones. So I sent Verge reviewer Chris Welch, who is a good sport, to a coffee shop to test out a bunch of different wireless earbuds to see how they sound specifically for voice calls. This is the outdoor seating. There are several people out here. There's music playing overhead. Someone's like, oh, it's directly next to me. So, yeah. The pretty clear winners of that test were the Apple AirPods Pro and the Sony LinkBuds, which both had the clearest detail in the voice and took out a lot of background noise. I actually ended up buying a pair of LinkBuds after that test, and I have to say I love them so far, but I'm always looking for something better. And since that test, two new earbuds have come out. There's the Samsung Galaxy Buds 2 Pro, which came out at that Unpacked event last week, and the Google Pixel Buds Pro. So now, obviously, we have to put those new earbuds to the test along with the winners of the last round to see who is the current champion. But we wanted to up the ante with the test this time, so we actually put Chris on a boat. Like I said, he's a good sport. The New York City Ferry, to be exact, which is a very noisy and chaotic part of the city. It has engines, waves, people talking, helicopters, wind. It should be terrible for headphones. So let's see how this goes. Chris Welch, hello. Hello. It's good to be back. Tell me where you are right now. Your your location and setup is deeply hilarious to me at this moment, which we forced you to do, and I'm sorry. So tell, tell us where you are. We are down at the Wall Street Ferry, waiting to get on a boat. want to come up with a new way of testing earbuds that's not the everyday just out on the street stress test so we thought we'd go on the water on a nice day it's finally pleasant out in new york again there's a helicopter overhead so we've got all sorts of things happening here yeah we came out of the coffee shop test being like okay this was good but they all did like relatively well my big takeaway was like great job earbuds so it was like okay we need to like let's break these things and see how we do uh okay so which earbuds are we using right now how are we doing right now these are the airpods pro uh, the standard bear for the iPhone, at least. And uh, usually pretty competent, pretty good. There's more sort of low-level rumble than we had the last time, where it like it, it sounds like somebody is sort of breathing into the headphone. Okay, so this is a not great noise cancellation of the announcements there. I was much more impressed at the coffee shop. This is rough times. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, we're getting on the boat. All right, it's boat time. Uh, the guy at the ferry just said hello he wants to work at the verge we got a fan here so that's good we didn't even plant that that was amazing (laughs) while we're still here let's switch to let's do the link buds real fast Bluetooth pairing. Now we're on the link buds. Hopefully they sound as, as much. Will they sound lovely? This sounds like I can hear the noise cancellation happening all the time. I can hear you pretty clearly. I mean, these are open earbuds, so I also hear everything else. I went back and forth on the open ear thing a lot, and I would assume that as you get it like onto the ferry, I'm, you're not going to be able to hear me at all when we try to do this. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how the engine roar treats these. Your voice sounds better than you did on the AirPods, but it's slightly less pleasant just because it's it's like there's clearly way more processing going on. It's more gated. Whereas I think the AirPods do a they do an okay job of kind of splitting the difference. That's why I'm curious to hear on the ferry how hard these things go and what it ends up sounding like. But just in terms of like raw background noise, I'm getting much less from you now than I was with the AirPods, which is interesting. Good job, Sony. I know what they're doing. 
All right, do you think you can switch one more time before you get on the ferry? How much time do we have? Sure, we can give it a go. Should we do the Galaxy Buds next or the Pixel Buds? Let's do the Galaxy. They're the newest ones. Uh, these are the brand new Galaxy Buds 2 Pro. Just announced at the event alongside the Fold 4 and Flip 4. $230, I believe. And so far, I'm a fan of the sound quality. This is my first real call test, so we're putting them through the ringer. You sound bad. Yeah. Like, I can hear you. I can understand everything you're saying, but it sounds like you're sort of yelling at me, like, through a pillow, if that makes sense. Okay. But I can hear everything you're saying, and the noise cancellation is really good. I'm hardly hearing any background noise at all. You just don't sound very good. Yeah, there are people shouting. There's a guy on a bike riding around. There's a lot of background noise, so if you're not hearing any of that, that's good. But the pillow thing is less than ideal. I will say this is the worst one of the three we've tested so far. Okay. Uh, but it's still, it's again, it's kind of like where we were the last time. It's like, it works. I wouldn't recommend like calling the president of the United States from these headphones in this situation, but like, it's, it's fine. We're, we'll, it'll do the job. Okay. Well, we're getting aboard the boat right now. So it's time to change the scenery and the sound and see how we make out. All right, we are now aboard the ferry, and like okay. I can tell it got noisier, but it's like it's not particularly painful for me to listen to still. Yeah, that's impressive because in real life here, like we're right next to the engine and it's just quite intense. So uh, I can hear you still, but it's definitely just a constant roar. So if you're not hearing that too badly, then all right, Samsung. I'm not sure how often people work from a ferry boat, but we're not here for that reason. We're here to just show what these things are capable of. And I feel like it's like, even if you don't want to work from the ferry, like I had this literally yesterday, I was on Amtrak on the way home and I had like a three and a half hour thing. And it's like, it's another one of those where it's like, sometimes it's very loud because there's announcements and people are talking and sometimes it's like relatively quiet and just sort of going. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. knowing that it'll at least be okay, even when the noise is really bad, actually it's very useful for me. Right. Okay. So before the ferry leaves and stuff gets crazy, even crazier, let's switch to the Pixel Buds Pro and get get our last quick test here. You are on the Google Pixel Buds Pro. Yes. How do you like these in general? We haven't talked about this on this show yet. Yeah, I'm a fan. They've got a multi-point, so you compare them to two devices at once, which the AirPods and Samsungs and even the Sonys of the world cannot do. So that's a nice little thing. I've had a few calls indoors, you know, very basic stuff. I haven't had many complaints, but how do they sound on a boat? I would put these kind of right in line with the AirPods, actually. I'm definitely getting that sort of baseline sort of white noisy hum but not in any particularly unpleasant way and your voice sounds pretty normal so i think it's it's trying to sort of split that middle ground too of like not over processing but also not getting all of the noise out as a result right okay that's pretty good then considering you know google their uh, last few earbuds the pixel buds too in particular were pretty terrible so these have like none of the issues and the dropouts that those had so i've been very very happy about that sound quality is great we're gonna have spatial audio later this year with the head tracking all that stuff so yeah they're definitely google's best try at it yet yeah i'm kind of impressed the only thing that is annoying me is there is this one band of high-pitched audio that's coming through and when you're not talking it kicks in even harder. So it's like, it's, it seems to be trying to figure out how to find your voice and not getting it quite right. But then when you're not talking, it's noise cancellation is really good. Apple was kind of pulling everything out, but like a sort of subtle white noise. This is definitely, there's like a little bit of a screeching happening. It's like the train car on the railroad tracks noise a little bit. Interesting how like each company tunes their algorithms, you know, to pick out certain frequencies. So I guess it comes down to preference or what have you, but... 
At least you can hear me pretty well. Yeah, can you hear me okay? How are you? How am I doing? Everybody fine. We're going to stay on the boat and keep going to our next destination on the ferry. Wait, is the ferry moving? Oh, yeah, the ferry's been moving. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even hear the ferry start to move. I expected a big horn or something. We've got a big engine behind us, you know, but none of that's coming through in the earbuds, so pretty good. While we're here, why don't we go back and do the other two? Let's get the AirPods and the Sonys so we have all four sitting at this table. Uh, we're back on the AirPods Pro. We're still docked, so we don't have both movement sounds, but it's still pretty loud. We're at the same table we were at before when the Pixel Buds were super quiet when I was not talking, as you said. So Apple might let through a bit more noise. I kind of can't believe I'm saying this. This The Pixel Buds sounded better. You can very much tell that Apple is like obsessed with making your voice still sound like your voice. Like you sound the most like you on these. But as a result, I'm definitely hearing more background noise. Like I can hear the people talking as they walk behind you in a way mm-hmm. that the Pixel Buds would not. I'm still getting that same kind of like high-pitched whine. So I think it's, it's kind of even with Google on that front. But like... Google is definitely more aggressive than Apple on this front, but it seems like almost as natural. I'm kind of impressed with the Pixel Buds here. Interesting. Not what I expected. These AirPods are a known quantity. We'll see what happens with the rumored AirPods Pro 2, I think, that might come around this fall. We've been out for a while. It's time for something new in Apple, I think. And I think we're getting close to it. Should we do the Link Buds now? Yeah, let's switch to the Link Buds. Uh, we're back to Sony's Link Buds, so I can hear everything around me. I can still hear you, but I can imagine like if we go up top on the boat, it's going to get very, very dire very quick. So for now, I can still make you out. Chris, I have really disappointing news. What? These are not as good. The Pixel Buds might be the best one so far, which I would not have bet at all would be the case. But this is like, it's still sort of that same thing. It's like it's trying really, really hard to process, and I can hear it happening. Uh, and so it's everything is kind of coming up and then coming down and then coming up and then coming down and everything is a little topsy-turvy. You sound more pleasant to me on both the AirPods and the Pixel Buds. Wow, fascinating. Because these were far and away the champion like the coffee shop setting. But here they seem to be struggling with all the factors around. So, hmm. All right. Well, while you're still moving, let's let's go back to the Galaxy Buds and see if they can come out of last place in this test. Yes, the brand new Galaxy Buds 2 Pro, Buds Pro 2, whichever you prefer. Yeah, like I was saying before, the Samsung's best sounding earbuds yet, by far the noise cancellation is great. Almost at Sony's level, maybe just, just shy. The noise cancellation on here is pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting a ton of background noise, but you sound by a mile the worst of the four we've been testing here. Mm. It's very muffled and like you're talking to me through a wall of mud. Not sure if that's like mic placement or what they did differently, but yeah, it's not great to hear. Spending two hundred thirty dollars on earbuds, you don't want to hear that you sound like you're talking through mud. Let's do one last test. We're going to throw out the Link Buds and we're going to throw out the Galaxy Buds and we're going to take the AirPods and the Pixel Buds Pro up to the top of the ferry where things are going to get even crazier and that's where we're going to do our, our final test here. It's going to be windy. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be a very big test for this. Uh, let's see who wins. All right, we're on a moving ferry. We just went under the bridge. Beautiful day here in New York. It's a nice day. We're on top of the ferry. A lot of folks are around talking. It's a full gang up here. So, worst case scenario for any set of earbuds, sort of being on a plane. 
This is pretty bad. I caught about 80% of that, I would say. <laughs> Apple's doing a good job here of making it, like, I suspect if it was just unprocessed audio, this would be, like, unlistenable and I would have to take my headphones off. So it's canceling out most of it, but unfortunately that also includes your voice. So I think we have officially okay. reached the do not make phone calls on top of the ferry portion of the proceedings here. Don't make phone calls. And if we do, we've got to project really loud and yell and just freak out the other ferry passengers. And, uh... Listen, the last time we did this, we scared everybody out of a coffee shop. So I think the least we can do is scare everybody off the ferry today. Shall we switch to the possible new winners at Pixel Boats Pro? Let's do it. I have high hopes. Let's see what happens. All right. Pixel Boats stress test. These are the Pixel Boats Pro atop a ferry in New York City. Uh, we are about to dock, though, so it's not quite a fair comparison versus I mean, the engine's on. No, but we're not at full speed right now. You sound substantially better than you did on the AirPods. I think we, I think we might need to do this test when and when we're fully moving again because it's mm-hmm. this is usable. Right. Whereas the AirPods were like, I would just hang up on you and tell you to call me later. But yeah, this is this is too good to be true. I think we're we're gonna have to wait till you're back out on the on the open sea for this one. Okay. All right. Looks like we're moving again. We are at speed once again. This is better than the AirPods. I cannot believe this. Better than the AirPods. Okay. I'm coming through. Like, no words are getting cut off. Nothing. You're not losing me at all. The AirPods were definitely clipping you occasionally. It was like I could get all of your sentences, but it was, it was, you were kind of coming and going. But this seems like it's, it's pretty clean. That's impressive. Turn and face your head directly into the wind. Let's make this as hard as possible. Okay. Facing into the wind. Speaking to you at a fairly normal volume for a ferry. Uh, I can hear the wind in the earbuds, so is that coming through? I can hear you fine. This is insane. (laughs) I kind of can't believe it. That worked. Like, we could have a call like this, and I don't think I would ever be like, Chris, are you on the top of a ferry calling me? Well, props where they're due, Google. Like, I would guess right now that you're, like, walking down the street and there's, like, a breeze. Right, like, but that's that's what it sounds like. It definitely doesn't sound like you're on top of a very loud ferry. There's a breeze, all right. Yeah, this is impressive. I mean, I can hear you fine, obviously. Uh, there's the active noise cancellation is pretty good. You get some wind noise with all your buds that have that, I think. But uh, by and large, we might have found our favorite new pick for ferry earbuds or you know any kind of like extreme circumstances. Didn't expect a Pixelbuds Pro to come out on top today. All right. Well, this is we've we've learned something here. I'm now looking sadly at my LinkBuds S, and I'm like, do I did I make the right decision in buying you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go look at Amazon for a while and just just see how I feel. Okay. Well, we gotta find our way home now. Back to the office. But this has been fun. Well, thank you. Go back to quieter places, and we'll we'll, we'll hang again soon. All right, sir. See you soon. We're gonna take a break, and then we're gonna talk about pickup trucks. Neelai Patel just finished reviewing the Ford F-150 Lightning, and I don't know anything about pickup trucks, but he tells me it's a big deal. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. 
Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome back. So I should confess this right up front. I am not a truck guy, not even a little bit, but I'm fascinated by the Ford F-150 Lightning anyway, because this is Ford trying to take its most iconic vehicle, maybe the most iconic vehicle that anybody makes, into the electric truck of the future. And I think whether Ford can pull that off might say a lot about the whole car industry's attempt to go electric. Neelai Patel spent a bunch of time over the last several weeks racing around upstate New York in a Lightning, hanging out at Home Depot parking lots, because apparently that's what you do when you're a pickup truck guy. And he wrote a review for The Verge about all of it. It's up now. I'll put the link in the show notes. And what surprised me most about it was that the Ford F-150 Lightning is a truck, yes, but it's also basically just a really big tablet on wheels. And I love talking about tablets. So I told Neelai that he had to come tell us about this Ford tablet, whether touchscreens are the future of cars, and whether Ford's software design can match its pickup prowess. Hi, Neelai. Hey, buddy. So you're a truck guy. One of the more surprising developments of my entire life. Have you always been a truck guy? Like, when when did Neelai Patel truck guy become a thing? Well, I've always enjoyed a truck. Okay. Like, I grew up in Wisconsin. There were trucks around. I've always thought trucks were neat. The idea that I would own a pickup truck and then consider purchasing a second pickup truck, that's pandemic. That's just pure pandemic outcome. Yeah, I mean, pre-pandemic, Neelai was much more interested in like an unnecessarily fast BMW than a second yeah. pickup truck. City cars, and now yeah. I'm like country cars. Yeah, but it's good. <laughs> okay, so the reason I bring this up is we're going to mostly talk about the F-150 Lightning as like a gadget, because I think that's how you mostly think about it. That's how you mostly reviewed it. So we're going to talk mostly about that. But like real quick before we do, put this thing in like, future of cars context for me. Cause I don't, all I know is that Ford sells a lot of F one fifties and it would be good if they were electric, I guess like this thing seems to matter a lot. Tell me why. Yeah. I think that's the basic. So pickup trucks are the most popular vehicles in America. The F one fifty in particular is the most popular vehicle in America for like 45 years running. Wow. And that's not a consumer number. That's a vehicles in America number. That is contractors, that is delivery people, that is fleets, like people buy F-150s for their businesses, huge companies buy hundreds of F-150s at a time. So the most popular vehicle in America, they obviously are huge. They've gotten 
incredibly big over time. If you look at an F-150 from the 90s, they look teeny. They're little baby cars. Yeah. They're heavy. They have big engines. They have a lot of emissions from the big engines. So if you can electrify that, and in particular electrify it not for consumers, but for that huge number of commercial customers that don't often drive more than 300 miles in a day, right? So they can come home and they can charge back at their depots. That's what Ford calls it. You've like made a huge impact on emissions. There's just an opportunity here to electrify a lot of cars at once because you're aiming kind of at the biggest part of the, the market. Okay. So if I'm Ford, then I would basically try to make the F-150 Lightning as much exactly the same as the F-150 that has been the best-selling car in America for 45 years as possible. Like change as little as you possibly can and like hope nobody notices seems like a very good business strategy in that sense. And to some extent that that almost seems like what Ford did here, like almost, but not quite. It's an F-150. And my joke is like Ford literally did not redesign the wheel. It's the F-150 steering wheel, F-150 seats, F-150 body panels, F-150 windshield wipers, F-150 everywhere. Then some minor tweaks. The taillights and headlight have the little LED surrounds. The interior is like, depending on your view of the touchscreen, a little bit nicer than the Platinum F-150 because it's just been redesigned a little bit. And obviously it has that drivetrain. And it can, it can just go real fast in a way that very few F-150s can go real fast. That's fair. The headlights thing, there are very few things in the world that drive Anna, my wife, as crazy as like non-standard headlights and taillights. <laughs> and every time we drive at night, she's like, this should be regulated. All headlights and taillights should have to be the same. And the thing the Mustang does where it like the lights sort of tick outward drives her absolutely insane. So I'm sure <laughs> the F-150 Lightning is going to do the same thing. So one thing that's true across car design is everybody wants the cool LED headlights that are like really thin and look really neat. Uh, they don't make enough light. So if you actually look at where the real headlights are in cars, they're all over the place in places they're like hidden. So it looks like the cool lights are the lights, but then they, the real lights are like hidden somewhere. Else. <laughs> There's just somebody shining a flashlight behind it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. All right. So the software is the thing, right? And it's like, everybody seems to have decided that Tesla's idea of like, what if we just put a giant ass portrait mode screen in the middle of the car is the correct idea. And before we even get into the specifics of it, are we sure that's the right idea? Like, I'm just, I like <laughs> buttons. Buttons are so good. Give me, like, yeah. dials. And the, the F-150 you have, if, if I'm remembering right from seeing your video, is, like, big landscape screen and then a bunch of buttons at the bottom. And I'm like, that is a future I can get behind. So my F-150 is a generation behind. Okay. So it's not the new F-150s. The new F-150s have a 12-inch landscape screen, climate control buttons underneath it. I have the older model, which is a smaller, tinier screen that really is just like for the radio uh, <laughs> okay. and then buttons ever like festooned with buttons. And I'm in love with the buttons. Give me more buttons. I'll take the buttons. <laughs> the thing you're talking about cars as computers, it's not the infotainment screen is like the smallest piece of that puzzle. So like a normal car from early 2000s was actually like 19 computers. And those computers are all built by various suppliers. And the job of the car maker was to like buy those computers and integrate them. And they would integrate them using like a pretty slow networking standard called like Canvas or like whatever it is. The big Tesla innovation is like, what if the car was one computer? Sure. Or what if we designed all those computers and we networked it all with like Ethernet? And like you talk to car people and they're like single twisted pair Ethernet is the biggest revolution in automotive. And you're like, what? <laughs> Ethernet? You're talking about Ethernet, <laughs> right? But it's real that like yeah. being able to send more data faster, more reliably around a car and control all the software, the pieces, like you need an interconnect for that. So Ford isn't all the way there. Like Rivian is like a, is an all Ethernet networked vehicle. They've written every line of code in that car. 
it's the future in that way. It's the same way the Tesla is the future. The Lightning is, like, again, right in the middle. Like They have a drivetrain that's new. They want to do over-the-air updates and be able to update the software all across the car. Still lots of supplier components, again, because you've got a bunch of F-150 stuff. Lots of supplier components flowing through it. And the thing that is expressed to you is like, oh, it has a big vertical touchscreen. Fair. So it's like the touchscreen is like the last piece of the puzzle when you talk about the car as a computer what they're really talking about is previously we we basically like lightly connected a bunch of individual computer like modules and now we're the whole car is one big computer which i guess is like i keep having to remind myself like that counts as a large innovation it's like well in everything else we did this a really long time ago yeah and like if you really the car companies traditional car they're all on this like Their executives all use the business lingo, like we're on this journey of transformation. And what they mean is we had no idea how to write a line of code before. Right. And now we that's all we do, like to the exclusion of we know how to make wheels (laughs) like like they can buy wheels. They're like, actually, what will differentiate the cars is the software engineering in the cars. But they never had to. um, There's a story about like VW. They launched this massive program to write all software in their cars. And it was like this like 10-year failure because they're just not good at it. In a way that a clean sheet company like a Tesla or a Rivian or a Lucid or whatever, they start by hiring the software engineers. I feel like given that this touchscreen is like the thing, we're going to treat this thing like a classic like Verge smartphone review. So I went back to like 2012 and I found all the categories of our smartphone review and they fit <laughs> they fit hilariously well into the construct of of this car. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first one is the hardware, which is just like the the thing itself. Like, is this a good screen? Do we like <laughs> do we like the touch? Does how what's the hand feel like? Eli? Yeah, it's slow. It's a really oh, fast yeah. truck. With a really slow screen. And I have this line that I've been sneaking into reviews for years uh, and got cut out of the video because I said it like in a very frustrated way, which <laughs> is that life is too short for slow computers. And the F-150 Lightning is like the ultimate example of life being too short for slow computers. Like it's slow. The truck is fast. Like at any moment you can crack a huge grin by just going fast in this truck. Yeah. One of the fastest production trucks ever made. I got into a race with a Corvette, held my own again, like a brand new Corvette Stingray, held my own in a pickup truck. That's cool. Like, that's really fun. Then you're like, I need to do anything. I need to turn on the seat heaters. And you're like, I hate it. So there's just this big discrepancy. And like, when you're like the hardware, like the truck is a beautiful truck. The frunk is cool. But the actual like hardware of the screen, the screen is nice. It's, you know, retina display. It's thick in a way that all automotive screens appear to be needlessly thick. If you look at how it's designed, it's actually a little, it appears to be off center because the sensor for Blue Cruise is like next to the screen. So like they've just like rejiggered the F-150 interior. Everything about it seems too nice. It's just slow. Yeah, describe slow to me because there's like, I pull down on a menu and it, the sort of old Android thing where it would like lag ever so slightly behind your finger. That's like one version of slow. Then there's the version of slow where it's like I press a button and seven seconds later, something happens. Where on that spectrum does the F-150... Because I would also think this is literally like... Slow touchscreens are like literal life and death in a car like this. Like <laughs> it's, it's pretty high stakes time to like make things happen when you press buttons. Like how, how slow is slow here? It's both of those things, but sporadically. Oh, even better. It's unreliably slow. I think the touch latency part is connected to this overall slowness. So there are many times when you like swipe on the screen like swipe through the cards at the bottom and you're like, this isn't keeping up with me, but it's not that the touch screen is like not registering your touch events. It's that the thing is slow and not, it's not, nothing's happening. 
So like in a smartphone, we'd be like, does it have 120 hertz touch sensitivity response or whatever? And it's like, maybe it does, but the computer underneath is so slow, it doesn't know what to do. So like, is a touch screen, it is slow sometimes, but I think that is mostly related to sometimes you touch it and it just needs a beat, right? Like I want to switch from the radio to the maps and it's like, what we're going to do, <sighs> okay, we're going to take the radio away and it'll be blank for a minute. Uh-huh. And then let's go ahead and fill in the map window. And then uh, where are we? All right, let's get, let's pull down the data for your location and then like draw on them. And it's like all this is just happening. Whereas, you know, on a smartphone, you swipe between apps and it's instant. And there are cars that are instant now. And this one is just slow. And this is, uh, I'm skipping ahead to the software section of the review now, but the you described this well, and I still can't figure it out. This is like Ford software, but it's kind of Android, but it's going to be even more Android over time. So it's not Android at all right now. Oh, okay. So right now, Ford's main software is called Sync, and Sync has this like long, tortured history. They first built it with Microsoft on Windows CE. This is like ancient Sync. Then they kicked Microsoft to the curb. They've rebuilt it on some proprietary stuff. I think there's some Qnix in there. Like now Ford owns it. Then they've updated it now to Sync 4. That's Sync 4s in most of their cars. The Mustang Mach-E and the Lightning have Sync 4A, which is just portrait sync. It has like some portrait features, I guess you could call it. Like it's got those little widgets. And then what is the big move is they're going to toss all of that out. They've signed this huge deal with Google. They're going to rebuild all of Sync on Android using Android Automotive and with Google services. Oh, this is gas that we've been talking about. Google Automotive Services, gas. <laughs> uh, it's coming. So this was a big deal. It took years in the making. Farley just, the CEO Jim Farley just signed this deal with Google. They're very excited about it. They hired Doug Field from Tesla and Apple to run all of Ford's EV stuff. And he's going to be in charge of all this software too. The problem is none of that's coming out forever. Like in terms of the lightning, the new cars at the end of 2023 will have this new version of Android Sync. But the lightning probably won't get it why until there's a new generation of the lightning that's just my understanding and i think even inside of ford this is somewhat confusing so i talked to jim farley when the lightning first started shipping and i said what's going on with android and he said yeah you know second half of this generation then i got a call from someone who would know and they said you need to change like this electrical systems of the car to support the new Uh. software so like maybe there'll be like a mid-cycle refresh, but I don't think the Lightning or, or the Mach-E in this form are going to get it. All that is to say, like you're using the software and you're like, man, this would be great if they would update the software. But all of their software engineering energy is pointed at the new platform. And so there's supposed to be some big update for this version of Sync coming. Don't buy anything based on the promise of software updates, I think is always our advice. And this is like a pretty good example of that advice because you know that there's a dead end here. Okay. Slowness aside, it seems like car UI is very much like an unsolved problem. And we've talked a lot about like CarPlay's plans to take over the universe on this podcast, which I continue to think are fascinating and potentially insane. But just watching your video, it's like Ford has a lot of ideas about like side scrolling (laughs) menus that don't strike me as like the way that I would like to interact with my car. Okay, there are hours of me ranting about this software that didn't make it into the video. Let me, I'll give you one example. First of all, nothing is labeled. There's oceans of pixels in this car. <laughs> and like, oh, like oceans. It has more pixels than almost any car I've ever been in. Yeah, it's like a 15 and a half inch screen or something, right? It's huge. It's a 15 and a half inch screen and it's like a 10 inch instrument cluster. And like a lot of it 
to your point from before is like, they're just simulating a Ford F-150 from 1985. <laughs> like there's like lots of those like old school icons in the instrument cluster. And it's just like, I don't know. Is that's a picture of an engine? Like, like, sure. Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Like here's the letter C next to a thermometer. Like, you know, if you're a car person, like, you know what these means, but like they made those icons cause they, all they had was like LEDs and they had to ship them to a hundred countries or whatever. It's like, dudes, you got pixels just like right out engine temperature or like whatever it is. Yeah. So like, there's just like an infinity amount of that going on, which is even more frustrating when you see the size of the screen. Like the instrument cluster is basically empty. It's rarely full of information, but it's a huge screen. Then you've got the center screen, the big one. And like the top row of it has icons in it that are just as inscrutable as like the Android status bar. Oh God. Like there is one in it that, you know, that little like asterisk sign that you see on the side of an ambulance. Uh huh. So the entire time I had this car, there's that symbol with a line through it. And I was like, is it just telling me I'm not an ambulance? (laughs) (laughs) But like, you can't tap on it. It doesn't tell you what it is. And I like, finally, I was like, what is this? And it, all it means is that 911 assist is off. So if you get an accident, the car will not call 911 on your behalf. Totally useful piece of information to know, I suppose. Putting it permanently on the screen without any way to tell you what is going on when you have a 15 and a half inch touchscreen is ridiculous. <laughs> you could write out 911 assist is off without trying very hard. Like that's, a, that's a thing screens do. Yeah, it's it's right there. Then there's like two different connectivity icons, one for your phone, one for the internal LTE radio. When you've got your phone on the wireless charging pad, there's just a picture of another little icon of a phone up there. And so like it just for all the world feels like your phone is disconnecting from the head unit when really it's just rattling around the wireless charging pad. Why? And then you like click, you would never know this to change any of the settings of the truck. You have to click a picture of the truck. Like there's a picture of the truck in the upper left-hand corner and you're like, yeah, it's the truck. And you would never know that almost all of the settings are buried in the picture of the truck. So you click on the picture of the truck. This is why they cut it out of the video. I just want to be clear. I just did this for like an hour <laughs> to a camera. It drops down a menu and the menu is divided into two sections. One is labeled settings and one is labeled controls. And who God knows the difference between these things. And then you like go into the controls and there's like little buttons and you can clip between them. And then all of the buttons in those are labeled settings. And it's just like, what is happening? Like, did anybody look at this Good and Lord. like pay attention to what words we're using? Cause we seem to be using all the words interchangeably as though they're a taxonomy of, and like, this is how we would review a phone. Like if we were reviewing a new operating system, we would go into this in extraordinary detail and be like the settings, the new version of windows <laughs> have been moved from here to here. Or like, you know, Apple changed window management on the iPad and we'd like, as we have, we would Uh like hammer away at scrolling your mouse to the bottom, right? This open stage manager. And we don't do that with cars. Right. And I, I'm just looking at this car. I'm like, if anyone did this to this car, seriously, you would just throw it out and start over. The way you're describing it makes it sound like they hired a bunch of people who had like deliberately never looked at a screen before. And they were like, let's just start this from scratch. Like we know we have just decided as a society, like what a settings menu looks like and like, should it be the gear icon? Maybe not, but it doesn't matter. And we all know that's what it means. And it's like, we just don't need new ideas about how to get to settings menus. Like I'm, we're good on that front. Let's fix other things. Yeah. At almost no point does this thing trade on your knowledge of how computers work. Which is crazy because that's, again, it's like, this is the moment to, if you're ever going to do the like skeuomorphic nonsense, that's just like, let's help everybody understand it as quickly as possible. This feels like the time. Yeah, but and and then on the flip side, 
they've got all these like old school, weird unlabeled icons, like in the instrument cluster. Right. right? So like the part where you're like simulating the old F one fifty, And then on the other hand, you're like, what if we try to invent settings taxonomy from scratch? It's like, you're not, you, you got to do one or the other all the way. And like, in this case, I, I just think Ford is a little trapped between two worlds and they've got this like gigantic Android refresh coming where presumably because they're working with Google. Well, I mean, it's not like Android status bars are like a bastion of clarity, but presumably (laughs) they've got some people who are versed in user interface design, like helping them along the way. So it's just that part of it to me is like, I think I say in the video, it's caught between two worlds. It's it's held back it's held back because it's not going far enough. I think in either direction. That's fair. Do you figure it out eventually? Like, it's it's like part of this makes me think that like the best case scenario here is it's kind of like getting into somebody else's car where you like reach where the volume knob is and actually that's the temperature knob. But like after a little while, you sort of get the muscle memory back and you figure it out. Like, did that happen with the lightning? Yeah. It, you know, I end the video by saying if I could find one to buy for a reasonable price because dealers are marketing like crazy and they're hard to buy, I would trade in my gas truck. Right. Sure. Like the, the part where I don't have to pay for gas for a truck that gets 16 to the gallon on a good day and it's faster than my truck. And it's like fun to have, and the frunk is useful. Yeah, I would just try. I would, if I could get one, I would buy one. But that's a like that's a in spite of the software. In spite of the software, okay. right? It's not like a deal breaker. It's if you are the sort of person who pays attention and values good software, this is going to drive you bonkers every day. But it's survivable, which I think is like okay. where the car industry has been for a long time. The thing you're describing is, is it eventually just ignorable? Yeah. And the answer is yes, to some extent, like you're not going to dive into the settings of any car every day and like mess with it. The thing that is not ignorable is the touchscreen climate controls, which are just the worst Mm. and they're the worst in every car and they should be illegal. And here you're like, I want to turn on the seat heaters and you're just stabbing at an unresponsive touchscreen and that's the worst. Or you're like, I want to turn on the, the, I want to change the vents and you have to like open a full screen menu with a render of the car that is split into three <laughs> zones and like light up the zones. And you're like, my mom's car in the eighties had this solved. Like, why are we redoing this? And then you look at the gas F one fifties and they've got hardware buttons and you're like, I could have, this was fine. Yep. It should either be a dial that goes up and down or an up button and a down button. Those are the two answers. And those are the only two answers. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's a part of it that's totally ignorable. Like, yes, you'll be occasionally annoyed because you have to use the built-in maps to plot a charging route. It's slow, but survivable. And I used it. Yes, you'll be occasionally annoyed because wanting to change the radio station while you're in the map requires an awful lot of clicks. Fine. It's annoying. The climate controls are like, oh, I hate this. Like almost a deal breaker. Not quite. Cause like really they just want you to set a temperature and it auto, which I think a lot of people quietly do. So maybe not the worst depending on who you are. But for me, I was like, I hate, I hate all of this. Okay. Fair enough. Um, all right. Last thing on the verge review checklist before I let you go is cameras. And this is another one that fits oddly well in your experience of the F-150 laying. Tell me about the cameras on this car. My favorite thing about new cars is the cameras are getting really good and they're like super high resolution. So this is no exception. Super high resolution cameras, really nice touchscreen. Like the cameras on my old F-150 are like garbage like vga <laughs> tiny low res touchscreen it's like i think i'm gonna hit another car i don't know maybe who knows <laughs> this thing has like all the cameras all over the place you get the top down 360 view you can look out the front at the big screen all high res there's a little just they're doing all kinds of weird camera warping tricks to give you all these views so there's a little distortion at the edges but like it's me who notices these things not 
like our video people were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, look at the description. <laughs> the thing that kills me at the cameras. So on, again, on my truck, there's a hardware button above the screen. You push the button, it pops into the cameras. You just do whatever you want. You push the button again, you change the views. Amazingly simple, amazingly efficient, super mm -hmm. useful. This thing is like three taps into the cameras. When you put it in reverse, it obviously automatically opens the cameras. But any, any other place, you got to like tap your way into the cameras. Do you have to like hit the truck and then like front truck, front left truck, camera? <laughs> yeah. No, so you, yeah, I think, yes. I think you hit the truck and then you got to like open the cameras. And you got the cameras on the screen. Then you've got, you've got a landscape view at the top and then a 360 view of the truck below it in like a T-shape. Okay. Great. Then there's a little menu button in that bottom part. And you click on the menu and that gives you all the views. So, so far, like annoying, but not the end of the world. Like maybe too many clicks, lots of touchscreens, but big screen, high res cameras. Sure. So you're like, maybe this trade-off is worth it. Then you're like, you've got it open, the menu to switch cameras. You pick a camera. Then for some reason, that menu will just close itself <laughs> all by itself all the time. So you're like, wait, there's so much room on this display. Why was this a menu to begin with? And then why does that menu hide? What, to what end is this menu hiding itself? Because it's not covering anything up. Yeah, it could show you so many cameras. It could, yeah, it could show you all the cameras all the time. You could open a camera and still have controls to see the other cameras. And it's just shit like that that just drives me bonkers. It's like, this truck is so smart. With Blue Cruise, it can happily drive itself down a bunch of major highways. Incredible technology. Like, best driver assist I've used. And it's on a mainstream truck. Very cool. And you're like, I just want to look at the rear camera. And it's like, no, we're going to close that on you. <laughs> Not at this time, sir. All of that just needs to, like, just an interface designer needs to go through this thing and do the things that interface designers use. Here are the things that people use most often. We're going to promote those to the top of the interface so you can get to them quickly. Here's the things, here's the user pathways through all the rest of the stuff. We're just going to organize that into a coherent system. And we're going to take all the garbage and we're just going like, to hide it in the back of settings.app. And everyone will be fine with that. And instead, it's just like, what if it was a maze? <laughs> with no destination it's like i need you to stop it <laughs> what if you explore your truck through a vr <laughs> render of your truck you know that thing you do when you get a new gadget and you like play with the settings mm -hmm. like usually i find that to be just a, a delight like i'm gonna mess with this setting and i'll come back to it with this yes still a delight new extremely fun new gadget many many settings but I, in the back of my mind, there's always the fear. I will never see this screen again. <laughs> I have no idea how I got here and I have no idea how to get back. And in the worst case scenario, you literally cannot get home at the end. Of it, <laughs> and that's just, that's where you are. Yeah. I mean, there's that, well, that's like the charging thing, right? Like you've got to find chargers that can charge the thing fast. And all of that happens in Ford's maps because Apple's maps and Google's maps have no idea of where chargers are. Interesting. And like where the fast chargers are. And Ford has that information in its map. So, you know, one note I was anticipating about CarPlay and Android Auto is like everyone in every car view is like, you can just use CarPlay and Android Auto. Yep. And it's like, no, actually, if you drive an EV, you can't, right? Because you spend an awful lot of your time on trips plotting out your charging stops. And yep. Ford's system for that is better because it's tied to the actual range of the car. So the car knows how much battery it has left. Sure. And it's just sort of plotting you a route. And it, Ford also knows where the fast chargers are because it runs the charging network in a way that Apple and Google do not. So every part of this is like, oh, you got to use their software again, huh? You <laughs> thought you could escape it. You thought you're going to use CarPlay, a cool guy? No, thank you. So all this and you're still the coolest guy in the Home Depot parking lot and you still want to buy one. Old guys were wa wandering up to me just saying congratulations. <laughs> I've never had that happen with a review product before. <laughs> I was like, it's not mine. They're like, take good care of it. I was like, again, I'd, we have to give it back. And he's like, congratulations one more time. 
It's like a reverence around this truck. Because <laughs> one thing that is true of EVs is people know they're fast. Yeah. So when you've got the fastest car in the parking lot, like all of the trepidation, like they'd ask me the range. They'd be like, is it fast though? And be like, it's so fast. So like Ford's got a hit. I think some of it will be fine. The software piece, if they really want to make that turn into being the tech company that it seems very clear they want to do, that is a long road. All right. Well, good luck buying one. Uh, I know it's been a journey. So Godspeed. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that, but these things are being marked up like $50,000. So we'll see if anyone has one. They want to flip to me. You know, just let me know. We'll negotiate. All right. Neil is off to keep calling dealers about buying a Lightning, and we've got to go too. That's it for the Vergecast this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, there is tons more coverage about everything we talked about at TheVerge.com, and you can also follow all of us on Twitter. Neilai is Reckless, Chris is Chris Welch, Alex is Alex H. Kranz, Allison is Allison Joe One, Dan is DC Seifert, and I'm Pierce. This show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. Nori Donovan is our executive producer, and Brooke Minters is our editorial director of audio. The Vergecast is a Verge production and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. If you have thoughts, feedback, feelings, paella recipes, or ideas about headphones, you can always email vergecast at theverge.com. Alex, Neela, and I will be back on Friday to talk about crazy-looking monitors, John Deere, hackers, Android 13, and a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll see you then. Rock and roll. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.